Okay, good morning, everybody. Welcome to church. So glad that you're here. Are you excited to be in church today? I am. I am. So on behalf of our uh, lead pastor, Van and Jan, Dakota, they're on vacation. Welcome. They give a good welcome to you. My name's Casey. I'm one of the staff pastors here. And uh, I'm going to continue on in a series called Pure. Last week, we talked about a pure heart. And we know that out of the heart flows every issue of our life. It helps determine the course of our life and we're to guard it with all diligence. We learned about that. But today we're gonna talk about the mind, the mind, pure mind, because the mind really is a gateway to the heart and how we think will ultimately influence how we live. And it's very important to look at the mind we won't have time to exhaust the mind today, obviously, right? Scientists are still studying the mind. We're tr still trying to figure out why I think a certain way, and we understand that. But experts say there's about 50 to 70,000 thoughts that we have every single day. And some of you said, help me, Lord. Others say, give me the blue pill, please. <laughs> right? It's a lot of thoughts, right? And God's created our mind as an amazing tool it really, really is, and we're gonna look into it because some of us may not be living the best life God has for us simply because of our mind. That's how powerful the mind is. It'll control our life. It'll take us places we never thought we would go. It'll have thoughts that'll cause us to have motives we never thought we'd have, and there's some distorted thinking patterns out there. That's right, distorted thinking patterns can ruin us, and I'm gonna give you just a few and uh, as I'm giving you these, I want you to think about your mind and, and ask yourself a question, is that me? Number one is the all or nothing thinking. You see things in black and white categories. If your performance falls short of perfect, you see yourself as a total failure. Then you got the overgeneralization. You see a single negative event, a, a negative event as never ending pattern of defeat. One event, it's just constantly going through your mind. Then there's those with the mental filter. You pick out a single negative defeat and dwell on it exclusively so that your vision of reality becomes darkened, like the drop of an ink that colors the entire beaker of water. You continually play that event over and over in the mind and it pollutes today. Then you got disqualifying the positive mind. You know, the pessimistic, people, you dismiss positive experience by insisting that they don't count for some reason or another. In this way, you can maintain a negative belief that is contradicted by your everyday experiences, negative thinking, then jumping to conclusions. How many of you do that? Jumping to conclusions are those who live in assumption. You make negative interpretations, even though there are no definite facts that convincingly support your conclusion, no, no facts at all. You just believe it's there even though you don't know. How about the mind readers out there? We got any mind readers? Uh, yeah, we got some mind readers, right? Mind reading, you, you conclude that someone is reacting negatively to you and you don't bother to check it out. You just say that's the way it is. The doom and gloom error. Doom and gloom error, you anticipate that things will turn out badly and you feel convinced that your prediction is already an established fact. That's powerful. People live in that type of fear and they 
begin to do things out of that, this false reality. How about the magnification or the minimization? You exaggerate the importance of things, such as your goof up or someone else's achievement, or you inappropriately shrink things until they appear tiny. Your own desirable qualities or the other fellow's imperfections. This is also called the binocular trick. Then we got emotional reasoning. You assume that your negative emotions reflect the way things really are. I feel it, therefore it must be true. Well, I've, I've, I've failed in that one before. I don't know about you. Should statements. You try to motivate yourself with shoulds and shouldn'ts as if you had to be whipped and punished before you could be expected to do anything. Musts and oughts are also offenders. The emotional consequence is guilt. When you direct should statements toward others, you feel angry, frustration, and resentment. You live in guilt. You should, I should have. You didn't, I'm angry at you. Guilt-driven people. Then you got labeling and mislabeling. This is an extreme form of overgeneralization. Instead of describing your error, you attach a negative label to yourself. I'm a loser. When someone else's behavior rubs you the wrong way, you attach a negative label to that person. Mislabeling involves describing an event with language that is highly colored and emotionally loaded. I know none of you husbands and wives experience that labeling or mislabeling this morning on Mother's Day, right? Then you got personalization. You see yourself as the cause of some negative external event, which in fact, you were not primarily responsible for. And the list goes on and on and on and on how the mind is such a powerful tool. And it doesn't matter who you are, right? It really doesn't matter where you came from. The mind will control your life. The person who has experienced God still has to work on their mind every single day. Your mind is the key to your actions. So how you think is ultimately how you live. So if that's the case, then I've got work to do. I've got responsibility to take the driver's seat of my mind and bring it to a place that is fruitful so that my life will play out the way God wants it to play out. So my life will play out better so that I can accomplish more and not live in defeat. I believe that God wants us to have an abundant mind a mind that works properly, a mind that sees through the lens of the word of God, that sees things the way God sees them and walks around with just a clear conscience, just fulfilling their gifts, fulfilling their callings, fulfilling what God has for them instead of being skewed in their perception. Romans chapter 12, verse one says, See, so here's what I want you to do. God helping you take your everyday ordinary life you're sleeping, eating, going to work and walking around life and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. I love that. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even what? Thinking. Well adjusted. The well adjusted mind is shaped by a lot of things. Our mind has been shaped by many, many things. We didn't wake up all of a sudden 
and say, I think a certain way today. No, it's, it's a combination of many things. And I'm going to give you just a few. The mind is well adjusted by number one, philosophy. Philosophy. Philosophy is the way I think I should live, the way I think I should uh, have integrity, the way I think I should count my money, the way I should raise my kids. It's all philosophically driven. It really is. Uh, it's, it's the way I should see God. Uh, my philosophy on church, right? Everybody has a philosophy of the way church should be. My philosophy of the way marriage is. My philosophy on sexuality. All of these things shape our mind. And we get philosophy from many, many, many different areas in life. And I'm not talking about going to college and studying philosophy. Philosophy comes out of people all the time. You know how it is. I think you should do that. I think you should do that. Well, I told you to do this. Philosophy. And our mind becomes adjusted to philosophy and negative philosophy. Philosophy that doesn't produce the ultimate thing that God wants to produce in our life. And it's shaped. It's shaped. It's adjusted. Number two, it's well adjusted by learned behavior. Our mind is adjusted by learned behavior. Behaviors like racism is a learned behavior, by the way. Divorce is a learned behavior. Habits, right? Habits is a learned behavior. Guarantee. I remember as a kid, I was about in third grade, and there was a guy who wrote left-handed. And everybody usually writes right-handed in class predominantly, and it kind of intrigued me as a kid. I'll never forget you. I was third grade. And I watched this guy write left-handed and his handwriting was impeccable. And my handwriting was sorry. I mean, it's no good. I had the doctor's signature at third grade, if you know what I'm talking about. Saving time, right? And uh, so I was intrigued and I was like, man, I want to have handwriting like that guy. So I started watching this guy and uh, he would turn his paper and he'd he would turn it at a really good angle. I mean, further than the angle they teach you, right? Was it like a 45 degree angle? I don't know. I don't write anymore. <laughs> I, I, just get, I just sign a check here and there, right? Other than that, it's like, no, I don't, let me type. But he, he turned it extra and he, and he reached his arm around like this and right and left hand, it was impeccable. And I noticed something about his fingernails. They were very, very short. Now I'm just showing you how the mind works. And so I started watching this guy. I said, man, this dude can write very, very good. He makes really good grades and he eats his fingernails. <laughs> I said, well, maybe if I chew on my fingernails, my handwriting will improve. So I started chewing on my fingernails. I thought, well, that's, that, I'll, 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 and I didn't learn that at home. My dad's nails were impeccable. And he always filed them and cut them properly, squared off the toes, if you know what I'm talking about. So I had good fingernail habits modeled at home, but I saw this kid. And, and I'm just showing you how the mind works. So I started eating on my fingernails a little bit, and I thought after about a week or so, I said, my hands are hurting. I, and I finally asked him, I said, dude, you've chewed these things halfway down, man. Mine are bleeding and hurting. He said, oh, it, it, don't worry, just keep chewing. <laughs> and eventually they won't hurt and bleed no more. I said, I was like the shark tank back at this, I'm out. I'm out. Learn behavior 
<laughs> and I'm sure you are thinking some of your lung behaviors right now. I know you don't pick your nose. At, well, never mind. But our mind is well adjusted by learned behavior. You know how it is. Some of you come into the church and you still have your old church syndrome. I call it learned behavior. Or you know what I mean? You get married all of a sudden and you thought you had everything right and then that emotional tantrum comes out. Learned behavior. Methodology, education, learned behavior. Our mind is also shaped by negative thoughts. That's right. Negative thoughts like fear, right? Fear is huge. And there's all types of different forms of negative fear. I'm not talking about the, 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 the snake's about to bite me and I'm going to chop his head off. That's adrenaline rush. Now, fight or flight syndrome. There's a different negative fear controls society. Negative fear causes people to do things they never thought they would do. Negative fear causes you to begin to work out of it and expend energy in sectors and venues of your life that otherwise you didn't have to spend that energy, motivated out of fear, and sometimes fear can be cloaked into wisdom. Well, I think it's just wise that I start doing this. I think it's wise, I notice this, I notice that, and all of a sudden you're serving fear. Worry and anxiety and depression is rampant, you know that. The mind is adjusted by these negative thoughts that begin to control our actions on earth. Doubt and deception begin to control us. Distortion, uh, insecurity begins to shape the way we live. It's our, our mind gets shaped. How about demonic lies? They're out there too, by the way. I believe the, the enemy doesn't have to do a lot of work when he just says they're, they're doing a good job to themselves already right? But there is a such thing as, as demonic lies that come in. Remember in the beginning, in the book of Genesis, when the serpent came to Eve and said, did God really say that? Does God really think that way? Is that just a personal opinion? See how it works? That subtle lie that can be wrapped and cloaked in intellectualism and other things, demonic lies. So we know that the mind is powerful. I can say no more, right? The mind is a very powerful tool. And uh, just to show that a little bit closer, I got a little video I want to show you. So let's roll that video and take a look at it. The human brain, made of approximately 100 billion neurons, the same number of stars that exist within our galaxy. The human brain monitors and regulates all of the body's actions and reactions. With over five trillion chemical operations occurring every second, and signals being transferred at speeds of over 260 miles per hour, our brain is rapidly analyzing and responding to all of the sights, sounds, and smells all around us. Now, because we are all born slaves to sin, our mind has been programmed to behave out of selfish desire. The way we think, dream, reason, and act are limited to the ways of this world. Now consider the facts for a moment. For every behavior we experience, our brain creates a neurological pathway. As behaviors are repeated, 
those pathways become increasingly more stable. Think of it this way. A single behavior maps out a dirt road in your brain, creating a basic pathway for your thoughts to travel. But as you repeat behaviors, your brain builds a highway, allowing for an increased volume and frequency of thoughts to move about, resulting in your day-to-day -day actions. In order to change our behavior, we must reprogram our brain. It requires the deconstruction of existing highways and is a process that takes time. The Bible directs us to take every thought captive and to commit daily to the renewing of our mind through the power of God's Word. And in time, the result is the formation of an entirely new neurological roadmap, leading you to the life you were meant to live. So we see the human brain is very, very powerful. And so we gotta, we gotta look at the highways that are in our mind and, and look at areas in our life that we can change our way of living by changing our way of thinking. I'm gonna read this to you. It says, dysfunctional beliefs lead to forming unrealistic expectations and negative thought patterns. Unrealistic expectations and negative thought patterns lead to a painful emotional life with problematic behaviors. These dysfunctional beliefs, unrealistic expectations, and negative thought patterns are typically based on lies, assumptions, and distortions that a person has accepted as true. And then once they accept it as true, they begin to live in a behavior pattern based on that lie or based on that assumption, which forms neurological pathways, and you continue to repeat it over and over and over again. Now, this is not a psychology class. This is fact. It's teaching in first Wednesday, God is the God of the supernatural and God is the God of the natural. God created the heavens and the earth and he created man. He created man with a brain and a mind. He created man that has chemical releases and neurons that fire and all of those things that man doesn't quite understand. God created it. So I figured if God created it, I need to learn about it so that I can get better. So what we have to do is deconstruct some highways. We got to tear down some highways and identify corrupted thinking. We have to identify the corrupted thinking highways in our life because if we don't, they'll stay there and we'll continue driving down that highway that has potholes in it. And we're wondering why we're having to change the tire every other month and the rims bent and you, you know, your car's got one of those to it. You know what I mean? I hate a wobbling car at 60 miles an hour. I was riding with my wife yesterday and uh, at 60 miles an hour only, it does this little thing. I said, baby, is it always doing this at 60 miles an hour? She said, yes, I just stay at 55 or 65. <laughs> I said, I'm going to take this thing to the shop. She said, yeah, what if I get pulled over and I tell the guy, well, I know it's 60, but I'm doing 65. I got to wobble. You think they'll believe it? I said, nope. <laughs> and so we, we've got to identify corrupted thinking. The book of James in the Bible says that the word of God is like a mirror. And if we look into the mirror, the perfect liberty of the law, the perfect picture of God, we see ourselves as we really are. That's what I love about the scripture. When I look at the word of God, 
I see myself for who I really am. You know how it is, men and even ladies putting on makeup. It's like you get that close-up mirror. I don't use a close-up mirror, by the way, because if so, I'd be really, really sad. It's bad enough from the far out Zoom, you know. But uh, you see, maybe that's a pathway, negative thinking. No, I'm a great looking guy. Hey, everybody, take a picture. Put it on Instagram. <laughs> see that? Look, I ain't arrived nowhere. Matter of fact, when I, when I was coming to church today, the Lord told me, he said, you know what, Casey? You are doing some things out of a, a discontentment and you're being driven in this area it's good to be not satisfied with some things, but you're being discontented with some things. I want to tweak that for you. I said, thank you, Lord. But, but the mind, and, and when we look in the word of God, it's like a close-up view. It's a vantage point to show us who we really are. And then when that awareness comes, when we're aware of who we really are, we don't condemn ourselves, right? Oh, I can't believe that. I can't believe that. Uh, the Bible says that the uh, condemner of us is the enemy. So no condemnations for those who are in Christ. But when we look in the mirror, we say, ah, wow, let's take care of that. So, so awareness is the key to identifying corrupted thinking. And you can find awareness in many, many places. The word of God's paramount, but you can be reading a book. You can be somewhere else in the Holy Spirit say, that's you, that's you. Be aware of that so that then now you can start your journey of deconstructing that so I can real, rebuild something new. Part of deconstruction is taking every thought captive. We see in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse five, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. It's wonderful to read that scripture. Well, brother and sister, praise God in the power of the Holy Spirit. Do spiritual warfare. Take every thought captive. That ain't that easy, is it? That's like the quarterback. That's like the armchair quarterback, right? Telling the coach how he should. Hey, man, it, it takes some work to take every thought captive. Part of taking every thought captive is asking yourself, why do I think this way? Where are these thoughts coming from? Are these thoughts healthy? Is this the way God wants me to think? Are they biblical? Do they line up with the scriptures? How about this? We have to judge our own thoughts. Don't judge me, don't judge me. That's right, judge yourself. Absolutely. We have to judge ourselves, judge our thoughts, and sit in the chair of judgment and say, good, bad, good, bad. You're going to jail. You're going to die on the electric chair. That's what you got to do to your thoughts. You got to reject the thought patterns. You have to reject them. See, there's one thing of taking things captive I don't, want to, I don't want something captive in my life. I, I, all I'm about, I'm going to be worried about is the door still locked. I'm going to be worried about that thing behind the cage. No, 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 no. I took it captive. Now it's time to reject it and eliminate it for good out of my life. Absolutely. There's a guy in the Bible named Saul. He, he was turned to Paul, known as Paul the Apostle, wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, right? But at one time, he thought his job was to kill Christians, persecute them, have them stoned to death. But when he encountered Jesus, Jesus said, you're persecuting me, the one you think you're standing for. His thinking had to change. He had to embrace a new way of thinking to fulfill his calling in life. 
Absolutely. Change is paramount. Change involves learning. And all learning generates change in the brain. When you seek to replace a behavior such as toxic thinking patterns, your actions produce a neurochemical and molecular changes in cells known as neurons change in the mind. As messengers, neurons communicate by transmitting electrical signals between them, and these signals are activated by the exchange of chemicals in the synopsis. That's what happens to your mind. That's spiritual, by the way. When you begin to read the word of God in your behavior, this is what happens chemically. Neurons begin to fire. God begins to reconstruct things in your, in your life. Your brain and body is so sophisticated. It has such a great communication network. It's complex, but it manages the flow of information that quite literally shapes your behaviors and in many ways your life. These electrical impulses, you may say, consist of molecular emotion that are designed to control the overall direction of your life and to produce the optimal outcomes in its highest interest for your health and well-being. That's why I see people all the time. I got right with God. I got a Bible on the shelf, but I'm struggling every day because of the mind. The mind. There's no super spiritual trick. There's no pie in the sky. There's no fleece on the ground. God, we co-labor with God. I'm just going to tell you, we co-labor with God. My mind has to constantly be renewed to think like God thinks. And it doesn't come easy. I don't come to an altar to receive prayer and someone lay hand on my mind and voila, boom. If that was the case, we would be unbelievable. Well, Jesus would have come back already. He said, well, the whole gospel has been preached all over the world. These guys are machines. No, no, no. We got work to do. We got to reconstruct new highways. And it's a process that takes time. People want to give up too quickly. It's a process to reconstruct new highways. It's daily renewal. One day at a time. You know the old saying, how am I going to eat an elephant one bite at a time? We got a lot of elephant thinking, right? How am I going to change my thinking one day at a time? In Philippians, it says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think. Everybody say think. Think. Another version says meditate. That's a scary word, huh? Think. Meditate about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, there's learned behavior. Paul the Apostle is what you've seen in me, what you've learned in me. Learn behavior, right? Follow me as what I follow Christ. And received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. That tells me that I have to practice. I have to practice on thinking of the things that are pure, the things that are lovely, the things that are of a good report, the things that God says about me, the things of the scripture. I have to practice. And while I'm practicing, I'm not going to be perfected. I went out to the golf course uh, two, two times this week because I'm sorry. 
And uh, I'm very competitive, so I'm quiet on the golf course, and you know why. But once I get good, I'm going to open this mouth. I'm just waiting for the day to open my mouth. So um, I played nine holes, halfway decent. Uh, and then I went to the driving range and I hit like three buckets of balls. And man, I'd hit some that were perfect, man, 250 yards. I mean, dow. And then the next one, then I might hit three in the row straight and then one slice, three in a row straight. But I have to practice my swing over and over again until it creates muscle memory. And that's the way the mind works. I have to practice meditating on the things that are pure, lovely, and a good report. I have to practice replacing some thoughts with the God's word that exposes wrong thinking. I have to practice that until it becomes a part of who I am. A lot of people think that they can just read a scripture, read a book, stand in a prayer line, and abacadabra, my thinking's changing. It ain't gonna happen, ma'am and sir. It takes work. It takes effort to reconstruct the highways. It takes time and you need help. You need help. You need help from the Holy Spirit. That's right. Ephesians chapter four, verse 21 says, since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Where does that happen? In the mind. Instead, let the spirit renew your thoughts and your attitudes. Now, let me give you a practical illustration of how God operates, okay? In my personal life told you I woke up this morning and the Lord showed me that I'm operating out of discontentment in some areas of my life, which is causing me to be more driven in my area of industry, my work. Driven is good. I understand that. I like to get work done. But out of that unhealthy discontentment, even in my drivenness, I will not be satisfied so you know what I'm going to do? That's the help of the Holy Spirit to renew my mind. Now what do I do next? Did God all of a sudden cure me of discontentment thinking, even though I didn't even realize it, that I was becoming discontented? The Holy Spirit knows the deep things of a man. He searches out the heart of a man, things that I don't even know about myself. And he turned the dial and he reminded me or showed me or gave me a revelation. Call it what you want. Now it's my responsibility to make that thing on the forefront and say, I am going to kill the thing of discontentment in my life. And I'm going to use several techniques to do it. Thank you, Lord. That's miracle. That's how I take a practical miracle with the Holy Spirit showing me something that otherwise I wouldn't have known about myself and saying, now what am I going to do with it? I'm going to deconstruct that pathway because it's not a highway yet. It's a dirt road. It was trying to become a highway. Thank God, right? He can keep us out of the ditches quick. Other you need a couple tractors and sledgehammers, a full construction crew, and that's okay, right? But 
I see a dirt road forming and I say, uh-uh-uh-uh. No, you don't. Let's throw some seed down and put some grass back there. I'm not driving down that path. That's, that's the supernatural working with the natural. God gave me a brain and there's neurons that fire and I could get myself caught up in a driven lifestyle. A preacher, I'm reading the word of God. I'm trying to do the best thing I can, but God knows better than I know. How many of you know that? That's how I say I need help. You need help. You need to have the Holy Spirit. And then that's how you practically take something God gives you and take care of business, my friend. And lo, I'll be with you even to the ends of the age, Jesus said. Go on, read some books. <laughs> you need relationships as well. And not just any type of relationship. You need relationships that challenge your thinking. I don't need a bunch of people that's going to shout me down with saying you're the greatest and everything you say is the greatest. I need somebody that's going to challenge me and tell me you're not thinking right or I see it another way. I got a different philosophy. I understand it a different way. Show me. Show it to me. We need objective relationships. That's why coaching is so big. If you, if you don't know it already, the trend in the corporate world right now is trending huge. People are making millions of dollars becoming certified coaches, meeting with top-end CEOs, top-end executives. Why? Because they know they will not get to the optimal place of success without somebody that's objective, without somebody that's not like looking up to them, that's, that, 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 that's not intimidated by them. And they know, even though it might hurt a little bit, their ego, that that objective relationship in the form of a coach Life coaching, business coaching, call it what you want, is going to bring them to a place they've never been before. That's why it's so important that we have objective relationships that'll challenge our thinking. You with me? That's how God helps us, by the way. That's why we're part of a coaching that we sit around the table of the church. And you know what? We, we come against each other's thinking all of the time. Absolutely. The sandpaper. Proverbs chapter 18, verse one says, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment without objective relationships. Somebody who can really call you on the carpet and say, I disagree with you. This is where it's at. If not, you're left to your own sound judgment. And I might add, it's not gonna go anywhere good. Self-deception is likely without objective influence. Likely. Last point right here, you need discipline. You need discipline in order to create a new mind. Discipline, self-discipline. You need to learn the power of redirecting your thoughts. You parents know how to do it really well with your kids, but you can't do it to yourself. You need to give yourself a popsicle at times. All right? And, I'm, and look, I'm telling you, the power of redirecting, it, it's a psychological term, but when I am thinking about this and then I think about it, here's what I do. Look, if I, fear, if I feel a fearful thought coming into my mind. It can come in all kinds of different forms. It could be about my health. It could be, could be about my money. It could be about my kids. It could be about anything. You know how to, everybody 
experiences it. You know what I've been doing? We've, we've been singing a new song. I love it. I, I'm, no longer a, uh, I'm no longer a slave to fear, but I am a child of God. And you know what I do sometimes? Telling you how to practically do it. Now, this, is just, this is what I do. I feel a fearful thought. And if I feel it affecting me, because you know how a fearful thought affects you, it'll start messing with your chemicals. It'll, you can get anxiety. Your hands can sweat. You can start thinking about it. You can start getting worried. I start singing that song. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. And I'll sing it over and over. What did I just do? The power of redirecting. I wasn't going to allow that highway to be formed to where then I'm just living in fear. That's right. The Christian person can live in fear. But when I begin to replace that and saying, no, I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child. The road stops, my friend. It has nowhere else to go. It hit a blockade and it's finished. It's finished. If it comes back in, I'll do the same thing again. It's going to get tired of me. You with me? And eventually it goes away. And I have found that I will live a more peaceful life because my life's in God's hands anyway. And this life is short regardless if I'm here tomorrow or not. Who cares? Live today, right? That's how I practically do it. The power of redirecting, the power of confession. Don't think it doesn't have power. Don't think that for one minute, what you're saying over your life is extinguishing thoughts in your mind. Don't think that by confessing the word of God, confessing what God thinks about you, confessing things over your life doesn't have power. It has power, it has great power. Talking about you need discipline to redirect. You need discipline to confess. You need discipline to pray. Don't ever regard the power of a praying man and woman. The power of prayer, the power of faith and trust. What am I giving you in those disciplines? New highways. Instead of your reaction is living in fear, your reaction is singing. I'm no longer a slave to sin. I'm no longer a slave to fear. What am I doing? I'm reprogramming myself to live in total victory and to live like God's called me to live in the power of the Holy Spirit by using techniques he's already put in the word of God. And I might add, psychologists and therapists already stole it from God. Well, just meditate, son. Well, you took that out of Philippians. Come on. God already knew that. Now you're making money and you wrote a book. You need to pay God. Give money to the church. Right? Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Instead, fix your attention on God. What's that word attention mean? Your thoughts, your mind, your heart. Fix. Fix, that means lock in. Fix your attention on God. That's a huge statement. We just read that in the Bible. That takes a lifetime, I might add. Remember, it takes time. Fix your attention on God and you will be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. I'm gonna quickly respond to discontentment in my life. Didn't know it was there. It was just a, it was just a lurking. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity. 
God brings the best out of you and develops well-formed maturity. In order to mature as a person, in order to enter in the maturation process with God, it starts in the mind. Would you bow your heads with me just for a moment? You know, we talked about the mind and we talk about following God and we talk about reconstructing and deconstructing so that we're able to prove that good and perfect will for us as found in Christ Jesus. In the book of Romans, it says, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world. The word patterns is the patterns of thinking, the patterns of reasoning. It says, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be what? Transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will know that good and perfect will of God that's found for you in Christ Jesus. That's where it begins, folks, in Christ says we're not to be conformed any longer to the patterns of this world, to the patterns of our forefathers, to the patterns of our grandparents, to the patterns of the people around us, but we're being conformed to the patterns of Christ, the pure patterns of Christ that teaches us how to really live, that teaches us how to really think, but it all starts with relationship with him before we can even enter in to this process of transformation. So here's what I want to do. If you're in the room right now and you say, you know what? I need a real relationship with Jesus. I need a relationship with Christ and I know it. It's not about a preacher. It's not about a church service. It's not about a building. It's not about my spouse, my neighbor. It's not about the Bible that's on the shelf of my house. It's about my heart right now. My mind knows that I need a real relationship with Jesus. I don't want to play church. I don't want to play religion. I want God. If there's anyone in this room right now, I'm going to pray a prayer here in just a moment. And uh, I, want to, I, want, I want you to join in on that prayer. If you just say, hey, that's me, just put your hand up, put it right back down. Say, that's me. I see your hand, sir. Thank you. There's a struggle sometimes in the seat, but God knows everything. He wants the best. Thank you. I see your hand. Your, ma'am, I see your hand. I see the hands. God wants a real relationship with you. He wants to put you on the path of patterns after his likeness. He wants to put you on the path of patterns after his goodwill. His pleasure is to do that in your life. Is there anyone else out here that says, that's me? Is that me? I see your hand. Thank you. If you didn't show your hand, that's okay. Don't be condemned. God sees your heart right now. I see your hand. God sees your heart. I'm going to pray this prayer. You repeat this prayer to yourself. God hears you. Say, Father, forgive me. Forgive me of the things that I've done, things that I haven't done. I want to live for you. That's right. I want to live for you. I want a relationship with you, Jesus. I receive you, Holy Spirit. I receive the Spirit of God into my life right now. Thank you for what you did on the cross for me. Thank you for the crown of thorns that went through your mind, through your brain, through your head. You did it for me. You saw me over 2,000 years ago to this day. I receive you. I'm going to follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Let's give it up, church, for those who prayed that prayer. Pastor Stephen. The decision to follow Christ is just the beginning of your relationship with God. So we'd love to help you with your next steps. If you'll go to northwood.tv connect and fill out the information, our lead pastor, Van DeCody, wants to send you a letter that tells you some steps to take in order to maintain your new relationship with God. We'll also give you some information about Northwood Church. We are one church in multiple locations. We have a campus in Gulfport, Wiggins, and Long Beach. If you live in one of those areas, we'd love to see you at one of our services. 
You can visit our website, northwood.tv locations, for service times and directions. If you'd like to give to this ministry, you can do that online as well. Just go to northwood.tv give. You can give a one-time donation, or you can sign up for our online community called MyNC and set up a recurring gift. Thanks again for joining us today. We'll see you next time.